Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. So we've been working through this series called Redemption Through History of God starting in the Garden of Eden, creating everything, and then the journey that gets us to the cross. And we've been working on it over the past few weeks. We've worked through the book of Genesis, very high level, and now we're going to start into the book of Exodus. Now, last week, we saw that God used Joseph and a bunch of trials to bring 12 families to Egypt. They left their land of Canaan because of, a, because of a famine. They came to Egypt. And for the next 400 years, this group of people turns into a big group of people. And for 400 years, they live under the protection of Egypt. And, and Joseph, who is second in command, kind of kicked that off for them. And, and so in Exodus chapter 1, Verse 7, and by the way, we're going to hop around the book of Exodus some. The story of Moses will actually take us two weeks to get through, but we're going to go high level over his story. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And so we pick up from Joseph, and Joseph, we had Abraham, and this promise to Abraham was, Abraham, you're going to have a son. That son was Isaac. That happened. Abraham, out of this son, Isaac, will come a nation. We are starting to see that promise develop now. That nation is the Hebrew people or the Israelites. So you'll have a son. Out of the son will come a nation. And then the final promise that we'll see on Christmas Eve when we gather Christmas Eve is you will have someone that will come from you or from this nation, this family, that will change the world, that will bless the world. And so we're following this promise of Abraham, this covenant that God made Abraham. And so Israel now, this, this group that we're following, these 12 families have now grown over 400 years under the protection of Jacob. They have flourished and they have become a big group of people and have become a nation called the Israelites. And it's with this group of people that God has made a covenant. Now, God will work his redemptive plan in Israel's lives, but he's not going to spare them from some pain and sorrow. And one of the things we have to make sure we understand about Israel, God didn't look about all the peoples of the earth and say, you know what, I need to find the most faithful, the most kind of cleaned up, people I can find. Oh, Israelite, let me, let me choose you. No, these are a wicked, rebellious people. And so everything God is going to do in their story really has nothing to do with them, their goodness, their qualifications. He has just chosen them and made a covenant with them. And it's this covenant that we're going to see this story continue to develop. And so in the last week of Joseph, this covenant people, this, this family, he's led to Egypt, and now this family has grown. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So they're growing. 
Now, if you're the king in Egypt and you're kind of looking over your kingdom, to have a group of people that are not yours in your kingdom that are growing and becoming a, a numerous people, that's a red flag. Here's what he says. Come, let us do shre- deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Ancient world, war breaks out all the time. War is, a, it is, it is life. This is, I mean, this time, time period, it's kill or be killed. That's what's going on here. And so the king's looking at this. He's like, okay, let me think here. We have this big group of people that are multiplying in our land, in our country, and there's all these bordering countries around us that at any time will attack us, and they did all the time. What happens if this group of people joins with them? That's what's going through his mind. Verse 13, well, verse 12. But the, the more they were oppressed, sorry, let me back up. Verse 10, come let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies. Verse 11, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But they were more oppressed, and the more they multiplied, and the, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread about. Like, like they can't get them down. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Like that started to be the talk of the town in Egypt. Man, what about these Israelites? This is dangerous. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. Now I want to draw your attention to the word ruthlessly. The ancient world was ruthless. We have no idea what ruthless means. We live in a world that's um, has values, human right values that kind of can keep us, keep nations in check. We haven't seen ruthless. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. All their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. When the Bible repeats itself, it's trying to get you to understand, this is bad. And so it looks like, if you look in the past, it looks like God was in charge. Like, remember last week we wrestled with these two things. Is God all-knowing, and is he in charge, and is he good? And we can see in the story of Joseph at the end, we all raise our hand, like, okay, yeah, we see how God's in charge, and we see how God's led him there. But what about now? Put yourself in the story. You're a Hebrew. You're an Israelite. And you've heard stories of your great-great-great-grandfather Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how God was faithful. And you've heard about Joseph and how God brought Joseph to Egypt and how God has been faithful with Joseph to bring these people here and they're flourishing. And now you're a slave. And every day you wake up and you go out in the hot sun in the desert and you have a pick in your hand and you take that pick and every time you take that pick and you swing it down, you've got to be thinking, really God? Covenant people? 
and you pick it up again and you hit it down again. God, if this is your love, no thanks. And you look at the scars on your hands and the bruises and the calluses on your hands, you say, really, God? You love us? And you look at the stripes on the backs of all your friends and you cry out, God, where are you? I thought you were in charge of this thing. And we have to ask ourselves, what is God doing here? Why would God rescue these people and bring them to Egypt only a few hundred years later to make them become slaves? What is God doing here? What's the purpose of that? Well, world history gives us the answer, I think, one of the answers to this. So then 400 years from the time that Joseph and his family left and came to Egypt, they left the land of Canaan. That's where they were before. And those 400 years in the land of Canaan was the most bloody and violent times that that, that region has ever experienced. Like it was a bloodbath. Nations were at war with one another. They were trying to get their own territory, and it was a slaughterhouse. Had Jacob and, and Joseph and all their families been in that part of the country, when that was going on, they would have been wiped out. They could not have defended themselves. So I believe world history tells us why God brings them to Egypt so they can flourish and become a great number of people over these 400 years. Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up. Okay, so pause. We have to, uh, we have to get us, we, we catch up. I skip over here in chapter 2, verse 11. We, ha- we introduced to this character named Moses. Now, here's the backstory of Moses. Moses was born a Hebrew baby. At this time, the king, the Pharaoh, said, these Israelites are getting too many. We must, get, we, we must like, knock down their population some. So he made this decree that all the young babies, the, the, the males, would be killed when they were born, the Hebrew babies. Well, Moses' mom didn't want to see her son get killed, so she puts him in a basket, floats him down the river. He ends up landing in front of Pharaoh's, one of Pharaoh's family members, and she takes him in, and Moses is raised up. He's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite, but he's raised up in the Egyptian household, in the, in the, the king's household. He receives all the education that an Egyptian will. He's a privileged young man. He has everything that he wants. Well, the score, we're going to skip ahead to the story here. Now we see that this Moses, this Hebrew baby that's raised up in this Egyptian household, is now 40 years old. And somewhere along the line, he learned that he was not really an Egyptian. I don't know if he always knew that from birth. If at some point they're like, hey, surprise, we found you in a basket. I don't know how that worked. But he learns that he's not an Egyptian. He's actually Hebrew. In verse 11 of chapter 2, he goes out. When Moses had grown up, he's 40 years old, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, again, the Bible repeats itself. He went out to his people, and then he saw an Egyptian beating one of his people. I think that's for a reason. You're Moses. You've grown up in this Egyptian household. You have Egyptian schooling, Egyptian customs. You've had privilege. You learn that there's actually this group of people that you came from. Can you see the wrestling? Who am I? Am I an Egyptian? I have plenty. We're in charge. Or am I a Hebrew? 
a slave. So Moses goes out and he sees one of his people. And he sees that one of his people is being beaten by an Egyptian who could also be one of his people. Verse 12. He looked this way and that, kind of looking around. Seeing that no one was there, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay, now this is a big deal. It was no big deal to kill people back then, especially if you're going to kill a Jew. But he has just struck down one of the officers in, in Pharaoh's army. He has turned his back on the Egyptian people. So he hides him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? So he comes along these two Hebrews and they're in a fight. They're arguing about something. And Joseph comes up because he's chosen sides. He's chosen the side of the Hebrews. He had the chance. Am I, am I a Hebrew or am I Egyptian? He's chosen the side of the Hebrews. Bold move. Can we agree? Act of courage. He's just walked away from privilege and the family he grew up with and all the things that he had, and he's chosen his people. So he goes up to these two Hebrews that are fighting, and he's like, hey, you need to break it up. In verse 14, one of them answers, who made you a prince and a judge over us? You spoiled little brat. Do you mean to kill me as you did the Egyptian? Words out. Joseph's little, or uh, Moses' little secret that he thought he had buried this guy and hid in the sand. Well, the word's out. And so let's put ourselves in the place of Moses. You've just acted in this profound kind of big moment of courage where you've said, these are my people, the slaves, and I will not let my people, my own blood, be tortured by this other group of people that I grew up with. He's chosen sides, and because of that, he is enemy number one of the state. And then the next day he goes to his people expecting probably then to say, Moses, I'm so glad you stick up for us. You're in this great place. You're going to be our advocate. You're our hero, Moses. Here's what they say. What are you, a prince over us? This had to be this crisis of identity for Moses saying, who am I? Who are my people? And Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. And when he heard, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. So Moses has this moment. He steps up. There's all this confusion. Who's his people? Now both people groups hate him. They want it. They want to kill him. They don't want anything to do with him. And so what does Moses do? He runs. He flees. He has chosen sides, has chosen the side of his blood, and he's been rejected. And because he's chosen the side of his blood, he's now rejected by his step family. And he runs. And these two incidences here of, of Moses running and Israel not really wanting him to be involved with him shows us that no one's ready yet for God's plan. And so he runs and 40 years go by in the land of Midian. So he flees to Midian, ends up starting a new family there, marries a girl, becomes a farmer. 
And you've got to put yourself in Moses' shoes. Here's, I mean, he's, he is taken out of, he has just got out of town. And he's got to be thinking, I'm glad those days are behind me. I'm never going back there because everybody hates me. I'm done. And so he gets on with his life. And 40 years pass. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. So a new king's come, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. So apparently it gets even worse when a new king comes along. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I love that. See, 40 years ago, the people weren't ready. You notice that they hadn't cried out to God. But now, in their misery, they cry out and God sees their brokenness and it says that God saw and that God knew. He knew their suffering. He knew their pain. When they're wondering, has God forgotten us? As a matter of fact, we get the answer, no, he has not. He has seen every bit of it and God is ready to act. The time has come. It's time for God to kick off his rescue plans with this Hebrew people who are in captivity. They are ready, and we're going to find out that the person God has for them to lead is ready. Well, he doesn't think he's ready, but God thinks he's ready. God is going to break in, and God will intervene for their salvation. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses, he's 80 now, young man. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now let's pause there. Here's what we know about Moses. He's done with Egypt. 40 years have passed. He's forgotten that place. He's not sitting around thinking, you know what? What's happened to my Hebrew people? I wonder how things are going. I wonder if there's, no. He's just a farmer. He's just doing his thing. He's got sheep. He's leading them around. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, he doesn't know this. He's just, oh, there's a mountain. That looks like a nice place to graze my sheep. Let's go that way. So what we see is this kind of ordinary guy, Moses, who's just a farmer, just kind of leading sheep around. Just this common, ordinary, everyday, low job. But here's what I see. I see God developing him as a leader he needs to be. Because God's going to call him to a task in a little bit. And what is his task going to consist of? See, right now he leads stupid sheep around trying to get him to go the right direction. You know what he'll do in a few years? Lead a bunch of stupid people around trying to get him to go in the right direction. As a shepherd, as a wandering herdsman, what's the one thing that he is learning right now? The land. Geography. As a wandering herdsman, he can tell you where every river is, every mountain, every stream crossing, the places where the streams narrow, the places in the, in the lakes and the seas where like, he knows it all. We could see God, this kind of ordinary farmer thing. What I see is God preparing in an ordinary thing, him for an extraordinary work. Hill City, in your ordinary, how is God preparing you for extraordinary things? 
I just look at some of our pastors on staff and I look at some of the things we did and how all those things came together for the work we have now. By the way, all of us said the following phrase, quote, I will never work in a church. Verse two, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. So he's walking around with the sheep and he comes to the mountain and all of a sudden he looks up and there's a bush. And this bush is on fire. Now it's a desert. That's not an uncommon thing. There's a little bush fire that happens all the time. But as he's watching this thing, he's watching this bush and he sees that the bush is not it's not burning up. It's not turning into ash. And so he's like, hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to go check that out. Again, notice, Moses isn't looking for God. Matter of fact, you're going to find out, I don't even think he knows who this God is. Moses isn't worried about his people. He is a farmer. His mind is set. That was my old life. This is my new life. I am done with that place and I'm never going back. Now, look at verse 2 that we just read. You'll notice something that you'll see a lot in the Bible. And the angel of the Lord. But what do you notice about the word Lord? All capitalized. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is not a printing error for the people that did the Bible. That is a very specific name and a specific word. Now, in the, in the Hebrew, in, in the Jewish Hebrew writing, that word, L-O-R-D, that we have translated that, is the letters Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. The Jews considered that name so holy that they would not say it out loud. They would not allow it to come out of their tongues in fear that the Lord would strike them dead. Y-H-W-H, the name we would pronounce it, Yahweh. Every time you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the name of God, Yahweh. It means the one who is always present. And it's cool that the Bible uses that name for God right there because there's two people that feel that the presence of the Lord is not there. Israel, God, where are you? And Moses, I'm done with that place. But Yahweh, the Lord who is always present, is going to break in and he's going to reveal himself. Verse four, when the Lord Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take, off your, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, God said, I am the, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. God just revealed himself to Moses. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I, I don't know this for sure. I don't think Moses knew who this God was. He grew up in Egyptian schooling. He knew about a bunch of gods. I don't know if he knew this. And so God says to him, hey, I am the God of your people. And it started with Abraham. I'm his God. and I'm the God of Isaac and Jacob. I am the God. M Moses, take off your sandals for you are standing in a place of holiness here. And Moses gets this 
get this, gets this understanding of God, and he falls down on his face, and he thinks he's going to die. By the way, every time in the Bible that someone gets this view of God, or, or God talks, and they fall down, and they, they, they think they're done. They think they're over. And immediately when Moses kind of realizes who this God is, his first thought is probably himself. And he's like, look, I'm a murderer. And this God has just revealed himself to me. And he's like, I am done. He's going to kill me. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. When I did Judges, I accidentally added um, a, a different ite in there, and it was not very good. Um, verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So I want you to notice something in chapter 7, through, or in verses 7 through 9. God reveals himself to Moses. Moses falls down like he's going to be dead. But immediately, here's what God says. God turns it back to himself, and he says, listen, Moses, I have seen the affliction. I have heard. I have come down to deliver. I have come down to bring them up. He just reveals to, to Moses, look, my rescue plan is getting ready to happen. I'm going to go into Egypt and I'm going to do some work. I'm going to bust that thing up and I'm going to bring those people that are my people out of Egypt. And this is while Moses is on his face thinking he's going to get killed. He's like, look, here's what I am going to do. Verse 10, come Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Did you get what just happened? He just told Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do this big rescue plan. And Moses, here's the deal. You ready? You get a front seat in the action. Let's go do this thing. Let's go smash Pharaoh's face in. Let's go deliver our people. And Moses, I'm going to use you to do it like you're going to lead this thing. Let's go do it. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm a spoiled brat that turned his back on his family he grew up with. I'm a Hebrew that got rejected by them. I'm a murderer. Who am I? Verse 12, but he said, Moses, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, notice God saying, he's like saying if, hey, if this plan goes well. No, Moses, when this happens and you bring these people out of Egypt, like you're going to have a party on this mountain. That's how you'll know. And Moses says, but who am I? Now on the surface, 
we can see, man, that's a great question. Who am I that I should go? And the answer is you're a nobody. And we could maybe look at that and see, man, Moses is just this nice, humble servant. He has humility. He understands who he is. And it's a really good thing. Like he knows he can't do it. No, that's wrong. Here's what we would call this. We would call this false humility. Because when Moses says, here am I, here's what he's saying to God. God, I'm looking at this task you call me to, and it's all about what, I, uh, what I've got to do. And like, here am I, and I have nothing. Like, who am I, this person, this, this murderer of God? I could never do that. Here's why it's false humility, because he's looking at his strength and self-reliance to figure out whether he can do it. The opposite of humility is self-reliance. So while it appears it's this very like humble, well, who am I, God, very meek thing, no, it's actually a very evil thing because he's basing it all about himself. God said, I'm going to go. I'm going to send. I'm going to rescue. Moses says, well, who am I? Moses, do you get it? I'm going to rescue. I'm going to, yeah, but who am I? So Moses is hyper aware of his inadequacies, which is great if it points you to Jesus and points you to rest into faith, but it's destructive when it points to yourself and you say, well, I, I can't do it. Who am I? See, biblical humility would be God says, Moses, we're going to do this thing. Let's go do it. God, who am I? But since I believe in you and you're the one that's doing this, let's get on this train. I'm going. I know that on my own, I can't do it, but I see that, that's humility. That's not what we get from Moses. His focus is wrong. It's all about who he is, but not who God is. And God invites him to this work. Let's jump ahead to chapter four. This conversation continues. We're going to plot just to key things because Moses is going to try everything he can to get out of this call of God. Chapter four, verse one. But behold, Moses is talking, God, behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, Yahweh did not appear to you. God, remember who I am? I'm a person that doesn't really have a family. I'm a murderer. I fled. I took off like a, like a coward. And now, God, you want me to go back and say to Pharaoh and the Israelites, hey, Yahweh has told me this. God, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. They're going to say, oh, yeah, the Lord has talked to you, Moses, the coward murderer. Uh-huh, sure. Verse 10, he tries again. But Moses says to Yahweh, this ever-present Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, that's a pretty good argument. Here's what Moses says. God, I can't, I can't talk right. Like I get talk, I, I try to talk and I get all worked up and I can't get words to come out of my mouth. I can't talk right. Man, I feel his pain. Every Sunday after church, I get made fun of by stupid things I say up here every week. The staff, the, the fun thing is to have a little group text and they like all the little, oh, Daniel said this this week, ha, 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 right? Just like the joke around the town. Apparently I say miracle wrong, I don't know. I say miracle instead, are you supposed to say miracle? I don't know. I, I say everything wrong. So I feel the guy, God, I can't talk right. I'm just a hillbilly and I'm trying to fake it and they think I'm smart, but no, I just can't. I can't talk right. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, 
Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Moses, quit looking at yourself. Did I not make you? Did I not invent speech? And here I'm saying, go, Moses, get your eyes off you. Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. Moses, it's not about you. I'm in charge of everything. I made a promise. I will deliver. Moses, you're right. You're not impressive. But guess what? I am. Verse 13. One more time. But he said, can you hear him getting desperate here? Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Anyone, God, please, God, I I just can't do it. I can't go back there. I don't know what what I'll say. They're not going to believe me. They're going to laugh at me. They're probably going to try to kill me. God, I can't even get words out. I get my words all fumbled up when I'm trying to talk. And I, God, please don't send me back there. Well, God gets a little sick of his excuses here. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Moses, I love you, buddy. But is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. So God even acknowledges, yeah, Moses, you can't talk very well. But we're going we're gonna to take care of that. Some guys, sometimes God's just brutally honest. You know, yeah, you're right, Moses. I know that, he, you know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And we'll teach you both what to do. Okay, Moses, like, here's the deal. Trust me. It's not just going to be you. I'm going to have your brother come. And we're going to do this together. Let's go do this thing. Moses had a list of excuses And he could have kept on going. God has one qualifier, and that is God and what God is going to do. God answers all of Moses' objections, not by trying to talk Moses in. No, Moses, you really are a good person. No, Moses, you're really kind of smart. No, Moses, you can talk okay. God answers all of his objections with Moses. Here's who I am. Hill City, if we would become captivated by who God is and quit focusing so much on all of our inadequacies, what could God do in our lives? What could God do in your workplaces? What could God do in your families? What could God do in your school, in your dorms? If we could just quit looking at, well, I'm not good enough. Who who am I? Because all throughout human history, God has never looked around to find really good people that then decide, okay, I'm going to use that guy. No, here's what he's done. He's taken really jacked up people and he said, all right, I'm going to use you. Let's go do this thing. You're going to see that through every story you look at. These are not good 
people that we should follow and say, these are my heroes of the faith and we should do what they do. No, they're jacked up people and God's going to take that person. He says, you know what? I'm going to use you, but here's the deal. It's not about you. I'm going to do this thing. Let's go together and let's do this. We'll see that all throughout. Even go to the New Testament and, and, and God's going to start this church. And so he sent Jesus down and Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says, I tell you, Peter, Peter has just said, you are the son of God. You're the Messiah. He says, Peter, on this rock, on this confession you've just made, I will build my church. And hear me, Peter, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. And God is going to start his church. Who's the person he's going to start to use it, right? This really holy, righteous guy that has all the stuff together? Uh, no, executioner, whose name was Saul, whose job is to go kill Christians. And God says, you know what? That's my man. And God starts his church and builds his church with that man. That man goes to start a church in a town called Philippi. And the beginning of that church sounds like a joke, like a bar joke is what the beginning of that church sounds like. Here's how it starts. A businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a jailer walk into a bar. Like you think that's a joke that's going to happen. No, that's not a joke. That's the that's the church plant team that started that church. A businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a jailer. And in the chaos and the brokenness and the weirdness of it, God uses it to become this great church that we studied last year at Hill City. Even if you look 2,000 years at church history, if you know anything about church history, guys, we've been some jacked-up people. We had this little thing called the Dark Ages. It wasn't very good for our reputation. And all through church history, God has taken broken, messy, um, terrible stuff, and he's used it for his glory. And 2,000 years later, here we are. And God, Jesus, has protected his church because Jesus is saying, it's not people that are building my church, it's me that's building my church. And Jesus has sustained his church. And here we are, Hill City Church, I was talking to someone just yesterday. We were just talking about the past 10 years. She's a, someone that was with us several years ago as a college student. Just the past 10 years of all the things that have come together for Hill City to be here. From all the people that God brought to lead this thing, to all of you guys, just how all these stories come together. And we just sat back in just amazement of like, none of us did this. I didn't 10 years ago say, you know what, in 10 years, I'm going to get Brad Lotz and Katie and we're just going to get this team together. No. I was a moron doing my thing, and God used me. God's trying to teach Moses, Moses, it is not about you. It's about me and what I'm going to do. Moses, join me. Let's go do this thing. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people, notice this, he's not like, I'm not going yet. If, God, if, did you get that? If I come. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And what if they ask me, what is his name? Which is a good question because on that day, if you said God, here was the first response. Uh, which one? Because there was, I mean, thousands of God. Everything you can think of, there was a God for. So Moses said, when they asked me, hey, this God revealed himself, which one? What shall I say? Again, I'm going to tell you, Moses didn't know this God. 
This is all new for Moses. Moses is like, dude, I don't even know your name. What should I call you when they ask me? Here's what he said. God said to Moses, you say, I am who I am. Okay, thanks God. That cleared it up for me. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now that's just got to make Moses a lot more calm, right? Uh, yeah, so Moses comes, hey, you guys need to do this. Uh, why? Who sent you? Um, I am sent you or sent me. This I am, we can do a whole sermon series on I am. Here's what God is telling him. Moses, I am who I am. And here's the deal, Moses, you don't understand that. And I could try to sit and reveal a bunch of things to you, Moses, but here's the deal. You're not going to get it. Because I am so big and so holy and so ferocious that Moses, your little finite mind is not going to understand who I am. So Moses, here's what you need to know. I am who I am and I'm going to do my thing and just shut up and do what I tell you to do. I am who I am. I am loving. But Moses, at the same time, I'm justful. And I pour out wrath. And you can't understand that. Moses, I'm sovereign. But at the same time, I'll let all these things go in the world and you're gonna not understand them. But just know I am who I am. God, Moses, I'm eternal. I've always been. Okay, get your mind around that. I've just, I was never created. I've just always been and always have been and always will be. That makes sense. Moses, I am who I am and that's all you can handle. Another theologians translate the, the word I am as I will be who I will be. It's another way to translate that. Moses, I am who I am. You're not gonna understand me and I will be who I will be and you're not gonna understand what I'm gonna do but just get on board and trust me. Hill City, let us never now, let us never lose the mystery of this God, Yahweh. This God on, who on one hand is ferocious and holy and just. And when people see him, they fall down, they hide their face, and they think they're going to die. But on the other side is this personal God who meets us in our brokenness and loves us and knows us individually, knows the hairs on our head. For some of you, it's easier for him. Or for some of me, for me, it's easier for him. But he knows us intimately. Let us not lose the mystery of I am. See, in our culture, we throw out the word God all the time. On the way in today, I was listening to a, I made the mistake of turning on a pop country station. And there's a song, because it's Sunday, so it was one of those country songs about God. Let us not lose the mystery of God. Let us never say, oh, the man upstairs. No, he's not the man upstairs. He's this holy God that could take us out right this second if he wanted to, but by his grace, he loves us. Wrap your mind around that. So God's wanting to see, Moses to see, that's all about God that these things are going to happen. It has nothing to do with Moses. He doesn't need Moses. He doesn't need Israel. He owes them nothing. But God's going to work. 
And he tells them, Moses, you tell them I am has sent you. Moses' power and everything that's going to happen, and we'll read more, we'll finish Moses' story next week. Everything that happened has really nothing to do with Moses. He's not a great person. God's going to use some of the things he's been through and build some leadership in him that's going to help him. But everything that we'll see happen is God doing it. So what happens on this mountain in this bush is God is wanting to captivate Moses with who the I am is. Because God knows when Moses sees him for who he is, that he will go and trust that God's going to work. So every week we do those baptism, not every week, every time we do baptisms, we do those booklets. You guys got those? We hand those out. There's a very specific reason we do those booklets. And here's the deal. They're a ton of work. Okay, sometimes we feel like Moses getting sheep, trying to get all these people together to get their pictures and their stories in, right? One of our, Molly has to do those things, takes her hours to print out and put together. And all, like, they're a ton of work. Here's why we do them. Sure, we want to share the stories of the people getting baptized. We want you to read their stories. But here's, I'm going to let you know the, the bigger underlying secret. Here's why. My goal of those baptism booklets is that you and I would become captivated by the God that can reach into any situation and bring people out of brokenness. And if I could, so you've read those stories, there's a lot we have to leave out. If I could have those people come up and tell you all their individual stories and what God has brought them out of, here's what you would say. Oh my goodness. How great is this God that brought these people out? That's the why. My goal is that you become captivated by this God that reaches into brokenness and brings people out. And you'd be some, so captivated by that and so compelled by that that you'd say, God, uh, here am I. Will you, will you use me in that? Like, God, I want to have some fun. I see what you're doing. I see that it's all the work you're doing to heal these bro this brokenness around. God, I, I believe you could do that in my workplace. Can you use me to do it? Yeah, not on me. I don't have any gifts or talents that are necessarily going to fix anyone, but God, I believe you can use me. Here I am. That's my goal. My goal is that you become so captivated by God and the work he's doing that you would say, I've got to get a part of that. And hear me, guys, there is nothing better than walking with someone and watching God change their heart and just watching their world get rocked and saying, God called me in that. He's inviting me in that. How cool is that? It's way better than showing, to church. showing up to church once a week. That's pretty lame. There's a lot cooler things you could be doing right now. But we show you those that you can fall in love with that God, because here's the deal. God, guess what? If you're a believer, you're Moses. God has told you, hey, believer in Christ, um, I'm gonna do something in this world. I'm gonna go rescue a lot of people. And here's the deal, believer, yeah, there's nothing about you that's special, but I'm going to live inside you. And guess what, believer? I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna let you have front seat to this thing. Let's go do that together. That's the call if you're a believer. And here's what I know from talking to you. Many of you are just like Moses. Well, I can't. God, I don't know enough. Guys, I tell you, I'm a PE major. I'm not that smart. God, I'm a hypocrite. Me too.
God, I don't have the skill, which is hilarious to me because I look out here, here's what I see. I see a bunch of business people that kick butt in business all week long. I see a bunch of salespeople that can walk into any room and can sell whatever they're selling. They can sell icicles to Eskimos and close the deal. I see teachers who walk into classrooms each week and teach kids and have this gift of teaching. I see college students who are, who are smart and, and brave and afraid, not afraid to go up to anyone and put their, like, I see all this gifting. But here's what I'm saying, well, God, who am I? You can't use me. My prayer for you in this message is that you would see that it's not about you and that that's false humility and it's a sin, and that we need to repent of it. We need to say, God, you're right. I'm nothing, but I believe you've called me, and you're working, so God, I'm getting on board with what you're doing because it has nothing to do with me. Uh, let, me let me let you into something. We, you live in the Bible Belt here, okay? Most people that you come into contact with that aren't Christians, they're not wrestling with some deep theological question that's held them back from faith. And if you try to talk to them, you're gonna have, they're going to have much questions that you're not going to know. Like that's a few, but that's very few people. About 5% of my conversations are these deep theological questions or philosophical ideas that people are trying to wrestle with. Here's the reality, and I'm baffled by this when I talk to non-believers. People growing up the Bible about, here's the reality. They've never heard the gospel. Now, they've heard, they've heard of Jesus. They've heard of church. Here's what they've heard the gospel is. You ready? Here's the gospel according to everyone that's not a believer in this area, almost everyone. Here's the gospel. Go to church and try to act good. And here's what they said. Uh, no thanks. I would too. That's what they believe the gospel is. Most people aren't struggling with something they can't believe. They're, they've just never been shown what, shown what the gospel is. And when you say, no, actually the gospel is not about coming to church, and it's really not about being good. As a matter of fact, you can't be good. The gospel is that you're bad and then Jesus came to save you. All of a sudden, it's just like, oh, I didn't know that. I was talking to a friend of mine Friday night over dinner. And I've been doing some discipleship with him. He's not a believer yet. And I've asked him, hey, he's come to Hill City um, quite a bit. I said, what do you think about this? What's, you know, what's, he'd only been in church a couple of times before this. And he's like, you know, he's like, this is all new to me. And it's really weird because I went to church a couple of times when I was younger. And I grew up poor. And I went to church and I, here's what I, I walked in. I was like, man, I don't dress like these people. And I said, I just felt judged. And here's the deal. What I, what I thought the Christian life was is you need to be a good person and go to church. And here's what he said. I'm not a good person. And so therefore, I avoided church. That's what he thought the gospel was. And he's starting to see the true gospel. Some things are starting to change. And I believe we'll baptize him in the next year or two. Maybe we'll quit using excuses. God, but you don't understand what? It's not about you. But in God's grace and his love, he invites you into the work that he's doing. And so God has a work for Moses. We'll finish his story next week. But what's going to happen is God is going to reach into the hopelessness of Israel's condition. And God is going to prepare a way out. He's going to send a rescuer. And that rescuer is going to be Moses. 
And that rescuer is going to provide for a need for those people and lead these out. Now, here's one of the things we've told you about this story. This story is not about Israel and it's not about Moses. It's about Jesus. You ready for Jesus in this story? Jesus is the more perfect Moses. Because one day, God will come to Jesus and he says, I have seen the brokenness. I have heard the cry of my people. And Jesus, I'm going to deliver these people. I'm going to go down and bring them up. And Jesus, which is actually himself, let's go do this thing. And the Bible says that the word became flesh. And Jesus came down and dwelt among us. And Jesus would lead his people out of the desert of sin and back to a relationship with God. Jesus is the Moses. And it's a better rescue and it's a bigger rescue and he's going to provide for our need of rescue. Let me talk to two groups of people real quick. If you're not a believer today, um, I'm not gonna tell you to clean yourself up. I'm not gonna tell you to quit sinning. I'm not gonna tell you to do anything like that. I'm not gonna tell you to change anything. I'm gonna tell you you need to believe in Jesus as your only hope. That on your own and your own performance trying to get to God, you will come up short and so will the rest of us. None of us are any better than you. We're all jacked up. But you believe that God made a way through his son to bring you back to God. And then repentance is the second thing. You believe and you repent. Repenting of I'm in charge of my life. I can do whatever I want, God, and say, you know what? Jesus has, has called, showed me how to live. Let me live that way. Now, I'd argue with you that way will be for your joy better than the way you're living. That's a whole different conversation. You need to repent and believe. Now, believers, you know what we need to do? Repent and believe. See, the gospel is not just for people who aren't Christians. The gospel is for all of us. Here's what we need to do, believers. We need to believe that God, the I am, is in us. Believer, you know that? This I am, mysterious, holy God, is in you. And the I am has sent you to go tell other people who this I am. And it has nothing to do with you. It's about the I am that lives inside of you. We must believe that and we must become more captivated of this I am so that God can call us out of our meaningless existence into what he's called us to do. You need to believe the I am. And Christians, here's what we need to do. We need to repent we need to turn away of looking at ourselves, our own abilities, whether we think we're good or whether we think we're worthless. We need to repent of looking at ourselves and in turn look to Jesus. We repent and believe. It's the response to the gospel. So wherever you are, wherever we are this morning, may we repent and may we believe